I just did a Linden here. I taped a whole entire episode and I didn't push the record button. I'm telling you, there's something wrong with me. Linden for murder at bedtime. Linden, I just did it again, except I did it to my own self. I, I don't know why I never pushed the record button. That is the most frustrating thing. Okay, so this is Debbie Q with The Right Shoe. The Right Shoe is a podcast about all things strange and unusual, especially in reference to a death. Tonight, I'm going to be talking about the death, torture, and mutilation of Shonda Shearer. This is a case that's somewhat well-known, pretty well-known. It's a case that's well-known because it, it, it's not to be believed. I mean, the what happened to this poor girl? She was only 12 years old, and she was murdered by four girls. Let me name the names first of the four girls that were there the night that she was murdered. Melinda Loveless, Tony Lawrence, Marie Lori Tackett, otherwise known as Lori Tackett, and Hope Rippey. They were there the night that Shonda was murdered. They were pretty much led by Melinda Loveless. Actually, Lori Tackett. She, you know, the girls that were in the back were pretty, were Hope Rippey and Tony Lawrence. They were definite followers in this situation. Now, before I get to the murder, I just want to talk about a few things. One of the things that cracks me up is I've been doing TikToks and I realized now, I have to give a shout out, Grizzly Books, Gazella K. She has a new channel on YouTube. And, and well, it's been out a couple of months, but she just started these lives where she interviews people. She does these great interviews. And she just did a 12 hour live last Friday, which was outstanding. It was a true testament to her stamina. Now, I wanted to get on the programs that she has to set up the lives too. But just doing these three minute TikToks, I realized how terrified I am in front of the actual camera when I realized the edit button is not going to help me because you do not realize how much I edit my material. You know, I just like I have written down all that, like I'll go through a lot of material and have a lot of material written down, but then I'll forget a lot of stuff. So especially for the three minute TikToks, it's like, oh, my God. So I'm very much nervous about doing those lives, but I really want my show to grow. I want it to change. YouTube seems to be more. I don't know. I'm getting more uploads on YouTube lately than my podcast. And I mean, a significant number. So I I don't always have my podcast because my podcast, it still does well. But I just noticed that the before I wasn't getting anything on YouTube and it was still on my podcast, my podcast. Now I notice the tides are kind of changing. Now it's, I would like to do lives because I don't, I'm not a big fan of stagnant pictures for true crime. That's a whole other thing in itself. I just want to go forward and give shout outs to all the great, material of podcasts out there such as dead on podcast with alicia gazella interviewed her it was an excellent interview uh twisted listers i listen to them every week it's great it's this great format half hour back and forth sugar-coated murder which i did and that's karen and ann two sisters who bake while they talk about murder and it's it's just it's a great place for recipes and to listen to a murder story. And they're always very caring with the murders, as all the people that I'm mentioning. So this is a great group of podcasters. Uh, there's many more, 
And if I neglected to mention your name, it's purely because I'm trying to get to the story. Because this story is kind of a long and complex one, and I don't want to forget anything. There's certain key points that I really want to talk about. Now, first off, this story really shocked me because it, it just was so intense. Like, I was just saying on the other one that I failed to push the record button for, I just can't believe how... You know, when I was a young girl, now this happened in middle school, and it was, Shonda Shearer was in middle school. She was only 12 years old when this happened. She was in middle school. January 11th, 1992, she was 12 years old. Now, I am definitely going to be showing my age here, but I, what do I care at this point? When I was in middle school in the 80s, there's just some things that really shocked me about this story, and one of them was like how sexual the girls were. I mean, I knew girls that had sex in our school, but it was very much like boy on girl and there was no gay. Like, believe me, I am all for gay rights and all that. This has nothing to do with gay anything other than to get just how surprised I was by, I don't know, when I was in, when I was in middle school and my day, you know, it was anybody who was having sex in our class it was like a few girls it was like this big deal but it was like with a guy it was never like with a girl i mean our neighbor was very much anti i mean gay it was so bad to be gay when i was young and i mean it sucked i felt it was very oppressed i never understood it my dad had so many gay friends like so i was introduced to uh, believe me my dad was had every kind of friend on the planet he was like mr party guy i just never me personally in my neighborhood it just wasn't accepted it just wasn't I'm glad things have changed. I'm just saying that a lot of the, the things that these girls are going through has to do with being gay and like girl on girl crushes. And I was just like, wow, I, in my day, you couldn't even say that you would have been labeled a freak. And I just was surprised. Not only that, but the way they talk, like they're, they're full on adults. Now, you know, that has to come from wherever you're living. Unless you're friends with people that, because otherwise, where, where are you going to know all that stuff? And it makes sense because a person whose name's going to come up heavily in this is Larry Loveless, who is Melinda Loveless's dad. He was a total scumbag. Larry Loveless really did no justice. I mean, he beat his wife. He... God, I, I'm trying to get this into a cohesive manner, so I guess I should start with... Okay, my train of thought was that when I was in middle school, my girlfriends and me, we would just have fun at home. We loved Duran Duran. So when they would sleep over, we would just do this weird thing. Like they they always slept over at my house and we would do this, name five things that you want to eat. Because we had always had a lot of food in my refrigerator. So it was five things are serious, five things are not serious. And we would always like like pizza rolls or pudding pops and stuff that was big back in that day. And then we would write for non-serious, it'd be like John Taylor's dick from Duran Duran. That was big. We would always write somebody's dick for something to eat not serious and then that but that's as far as our sexual innuendos would go like these girls knew stuff that oh my god i'm like wow the hell did they know but it had to be from 
the families. That's why I, this is the craziest story. So I guess I should start at the beginning. I just wanted to say that, like, in my, as me, because I always compare any crime show, any, like, and anybody who's listened to my podcast, they know that I very much compare with the Frankfurt Slasher. It was going on at a time when I was heavily down in that neighborhood. When Gary Heidnick was caught, it was a time when I was in that neighborhood. That's why I can't help but think, well, what was going on when I was in middle school? And it was nothing like what these girls were going through. Very much more adult situations. And I'll tell you what, I'm glad that I was a kid for as long as I was because I had a blast and I, I feel sorry for these girls. But for Shonda Share, I, I, I just don't know how she, my heart breaks for her family, her mother, oh, everybody. And this is how it started. I can only go through, I, I have to really break this down because it, it is intense. The murder of Shonda Sharer. Now, Shonda Sharer was born in Pineville, Kentucky. She would be murdered in Madison, Indiana. She was born June 6, 1979. She would be murdered January 11, 1992. Now, Kentucky and Indiana, where Pineville, Kentucky to Madison, Indiana, where she would be murdered. They're about 400 miles apart. Now, I know her parents had separated and where these girls would come to get her that night of the murder was at her father's house. But I'm not sure if, I guess they all lived in Indiana at this point, but she was born in Kentucky. She was, uh, she was born to Jacqueline and Stephen Scherer. She, Jacqueline would later be known as Jacqueline Vaught. They divorced, and her fa her mother remarried, and they moved to Louisville, Kentucky. So she attended fifth and sixth grades, and she was on the at there, and she was on. The, she was like a cheerleader. She was a very well rounded young lady. Then her mother divorced again, and the family moved to Indiana, where she enrolled in Hazelwood Middle School. This is where all this action would start. Early in the school year, she would transfer to Our Lady of Perpetual Health School in New Albany, Indiana, where she would join sports and stuff. But that's what happened. Her mom hightailed it out of Hazelwood Middle School because that's where all of this would start. Even her mom said, you know, her Shonda was like this really good girl. And then after this incident happened like and i'm not even you know way before the murder because there's a girl amanda heron who really became like the the little like the linchpin the pin that held all of this together she was the one that basically the love her love is what shonda and belinda were fighting for and that's how all this started i guess i'll go through each girl and then talk about how it went down. All right, let me just talk about each girl first. Now, Melinda Loveless, I she was truly the reason this all started because she hated Shonda Scherer because a girl named Amanda, who I don't think was entirely innocent in all of this. Oh, I'm sorry, Amanda Heverin. Amanda Heverin, she was not entirely innocent in all this, but she was not there the night of the murders. Melinda Loveless was very much the instigator of the night of the murder. But the backstory is Melinda was born in New Albany, Indiana, on October 28, 1975. She was the youngest of three daughters. 
Her story is told extensively. There's two books that are the biggest books, The Lost Little Angel, Mike Quinlan, and then there's Cruel Sacrifice by Aphrodite Jones. Now, Aphrodite Jones does a you know a great job. The, the book is, oh my gosh, the book is hard to read. But Aphrodite Jones spends a lot of time in the beginning going over Lovelace's background and the mother, Marjorie, who was married to a real piece of shit named Larry Lovelace. Larry Lovelace comes off as just terrible i mean he is a real scumbag he would for like he would not only beat the shit out of marjorie on a daily basis but he just was he was nuts he he wouldn't just beat her up but he would also he would like allegedly because the aphrodite jones and now i read somewhere i'm not sure how true this is that Marjorie Lovelace was trying to, you know, I guess she had been interviewed by Aphrodite Jones and she was trying so hard to make excuses for Melinda that she could have exaggerated some of what happened. I don't know. It seemed like Larry really, a lot of it has to be true because he would ultimately plead guilty to some of it. I'll get to that point. But he would force her to have sex with guys, you know, swapping. And that's all good. If you want to have an open marriage and what and whatever, I'm all about that. But not if the other partner doesn't want it. And it didn't seem like Marjorie just wanted a nice little family. And like you can see the progression of pictures. I got to get back on my website so I can maybe or even on YouTube. I will put up the pictures like the progression of the Loveless family in the 70s. They just look so like a happy little family. By the 80s, Larry looks like a complete total scumbag. I mean, this one picture of him, ugh, it's out and out disgusting. So Melinda Lovelace had a rough upbringing, which included possibly molestation. This guy, Larry, was fired. He was a probationary officer. He was fired after eight months when him and his partner assaulted an African-American man whom Larry said was sleeping with Marjorie, his wife. He briefly worked also as a mail carrier, but quit after three months. And the whole time he was doing that mail job, like the whole time he was the mailman, he was bringing it to his house and destroying the mail. He was not actually delivering the mail. Marjorie was the one who kept the family together. I mean, she really wanted just a family. Her sister's names, um, Melinda's sister's names, were Michelle and... It was Melinda, Michelle, and Melissa. Melinda was a very pretty girl, but she had a very crazy childhood. So Larry would force the mom to like go to the bar and pretend that she was his girlfriend and have orgies. Now, Marjorie did not want any of this. She would actually try to commit suicide a few times. When Melinda was nine years old, Larry had Marjorie gang raped. Uh, she tried to drown herself and she refused to have sex with him after that. And then he raped her allegedly as their daughters heard everything. This was his punishment. And back then you could rape, so quote unquote, your wife because it wasn't considered a rape. I mean, if you went to back then, if you said my husband raped me, it was like 
they would be they would that was a oxymoron that didn't you know it didn't even make sense it, it just wasn't done you you were to obey your husband very much so even when i was young it was still like that he beat marjorie so badly she had to be hospitalized one time she wouldn't let him go home with two women that he met at the bar so he beat her I mean, these the picture in the book, it's just like her entire mouth, everything is bloody. She, I mean, he really beat the crap out of her. Again, the extent of his abuse was never totally solidified because by the time they got to it, the statute of limitations had run out. So they're never sure just how far it went. But it seems pretty certain that he did something. I mean, this guy was an absolute animal. It's, you know, she actually slept in bed with Larry Melinda. I mean, she adored him. And I don't know. I don't know if he ever did anything to her, except emotionally, he would ultimately divorce Marjorie and get remarried, where he would still send Melinda letters to an extent, and then he would totally cut off communications. In the meantime, it said that Larry was very much abusive to his daughters ver verbally. He fired a handgun in the direction of Melinda's older sister, Michelle. And he would, that he would, this is so gross. He would embarrass the children by putting their hand, by finding their underwear and smelling it or thrusting his hand down their pants and then putting his fingers in, like say he would do that to, to Melissa or Michelle he would run over to the other one and say, smell this. Who is it? Like that is oh, it's so disgusting. So all of a sudden he became a Baptist and he totally gave up drinking. He gave up swinging, which Marjorie said, even though he full on went into it, like annoyingly. So like to the point where he was like in a religious fervor, she said she didn't care because he was, off of that swinging stuff that she couldn't stand. But eventually he would go back to it and he, he would get to the point where he was becoming like, Oh, I'll, I'll help you out. Like these women, he would say he would help talk to them. He would counsel them. And then he was trying to just get in their pants. Eventually, you know, he was a slug and no matter what happens, a slug is a slug. No matter what he tried to be, the true Larry would still come out. He also was caught spying on Melinda and a friend. So Marjorie attacked him with a knife. He was sent to the hospital after he tried to grab it out of her hands. She would then try to commit suicide again. After this, Larry filed for divorce and moved to Florida. Melinda was devastated. Larry would send her letters and play with her emotions, and then he would cut off all contact. It sounds like, to an extent, Larry was like a player, but he it wasn't like he wasn't a smooth player. He was pretty much like a real scumbag player. So Melinda did have a very messed up background, and sexually, I think the reason she was so ahead of her time was because. She saw so much of it as a child. You are where you grow up. I mean, any, I can, middle school, I can remember almost the most out of anything because that was when I first became cognitively aware of myself. 
And I remember, oh, they're, they're so cool. They, they have it all together. When actually, they were just probably like, I was born, so I was a sheltered um, a little bit. And I didn't know about, like, I knew about sex and all, but I didn't, I don't know, I just was very innocent. And to hear certain things from certain people, I would be, like, shocked at school. But now when I look back, I wonder, and actually, I know some of the girls' backgrounds now, so I know exactly where they were getting that shit from. And it seems like where you are where you come from, you know, unless you really an effort to get unless it's something you want to be but if you don't then it, it takes like a lot of willpower to change into something else you know to to break away from that familial background but it's in your dna you know it's a tough one you know if your parents are just if everything's fantastic nine times out of ten things are going to turn out that same way but it doesn't always work out like that and then on the flip side, if everything's shit, you're going to follow suit. You really, it's, it, for the most part, believe me, I've seen it change. Nothing's set in stone. But, uh, but for Melinda, definitely. She was who, at that time, at her age, she was who she was because of where she came from and because of her dad, Larry. Now, Lori Tackett was born Mary. Laureen Tackett in Madison, Indiana, on October 5th, 1974. Her mother was a, a Pentecostal Christian, and her father was a factory worker. Now, she was a man, like, she was a fundamentalist. She really was hell-bent on her religion. Lori says that she was molested when she was younger. Her mother discovered that she was changing into jeans at school and she attempted to strangle her because of this. Now, social workers did become involved in Tackett's situation because her mom, they weren't sure if child abuse was going on. So they went back and forth at this point with her. And one of the strange things that stuck out when I read in the Aphrodite Jones book is when she became friends with Hope Rippey, one of the girls that would be at this four-gang murder against Shonda Shearer. At the time, Rippey's father, Carl, had purchased a Ouija board for the girls. I mean, it, it's in, like, the Parker Brothers game section. He probably thought, you know, well, I'll give that to, you know, give that to the girls. Lori Tackett's mother said the house had to be exercised because of this. Now, Carl put up with it because he was like, I didn't care. And I figured if it made her happy, you know, to hell with it here. Go ahead. Exercise my house, whatever. But it, it was, you know, it's a shame because Tackett's past this while Larry Loveless was a scumbag and an abuser sexually, violently. Like he was a sexual and he was a predator, but also he was very physically violent. With Lori Tackett's mother, it seemed like she used a religion to almost torture Lori to the point where Lori went the other way. And she would claim that she was Deanna the vampire. She was possessed by a spirit. She engaged in self-harm early on. I think it was, she was about 15. So she really like, not only that, but and Lori was really into that self-harm where she would cut her wrist. And she said it, it made her feel better to cut herself. She said when she would cut 
into her skin and see the blood, like the physical pain would release the emotional pain for her. Also, I do believe she had a little bit of schizophrenia and she, she experienced hallucinations when she was young. She said that she would like seen de dead babies hanging from trees. Now she had a friend named Terry Leatherbury. He was like a punk rocker kind of guy. And he said she really started to act strange, withdrawn. She would just sit there with this look in her eyes. I could tell that there was something wrong and I felt she was very eccentric. She started hitting me for no reason. One time I was just sitting there and she ran towards me and started to scratch me. Lori also cried more frequently and talked about her nightmares. She often spoke of one dream in particular where she saw the end of the world. It was a vision of dead bodies everywhere and dead babies hanging from trees. She also said that one of her memories, like she said, she doesn't remember being young. She remembers these hands, these colorful hands coming out of the floor and then these gray ones, like she was trying to get away from them and then these gray hands coming up and trying to attack her as well. I mean, all of these things, they're definitely hallucinations. She says she doesn't remember anything prior to being like 13 or 12. I I, I believe her. I, I think Lori had severe, true psychological issues. Again, I just compared the two because they were the two, out of all four girls, Lori and Melinda were the two heavyweights as far as being you know, hell-bent on killing Shonda that night. I do believe that Lori, where Melinda was just from a really shitty background and her dad just probably screwed her head up so bad, I think Lori's was more organic and had to do with schizophrenia and true massive psychological problems. Maybe it was in her family history. I think her mom had it as well. Lori, she was a sick girl. Now, Hope Ripley, Hope was born in Madison, Indiana on June 9th, 1976. Her father was an engineer at a power plant. Her, her parents divorced in 1984. She would move with her mother and her brothers and sisters to Quincy, Michigan for three years. She said that living in Michigan was somewhat turbulent. Her, her parents resumed the relationship in Madison in 1987. She was reunited with Lori Tackett and Tony Lawrence, who she had known since childhood, although her parents did not like Lori. And Rippy also began to self-harm at age 15. I would be terrified. I don't like pain. I, I know people that do it, though, and they... There's a lot of people. There's one person I'm thinking in particular. He's been in jail a lot. He says the sight of blood just thrills him. It makes him feel better. I don't know. He doesn't do it to any extent where he's ever been hospitalized for it, but he just says it helps him. I don't know. Some people, that's how they deal with emotional stress. just want to make sure I get all of the... Yeah, this is a rough one, man. This is very unbelievable what they do to this freaking poor girl. Okay, now Tony Lawrence was born in Madison as well. Madison, Indiana, on February 14th, Valentine's Day, 1976. She was close friends with Hope Rippey during childhood. She was abused by a relative at age nine, but also she was raped by a teenage boy at 14. 
Now, the police, the only thing that happened was the police. I don't know why I looked into this. He was never prosecuted for this. Too bad there was a stay-away order issued. And I think because there was some question, it might have been a date rape situation. Either way, it was wrong. I'm just trying to figure out why he was only given a stay-away order for Lawrence. Now, she went to counseling for this, but she was into self-harm as well, and she attempted suicide in eighth grade. She became extremely promiscuous, Tony Lawrence. Uh, Now, I'm not negating any of the girls in this. They were all at fault. Now, if I, no matter what, I mean, I was a little dork when I was in grade school or middle school. But before then, I don't care, even at my dorkiest I would have gotten out of the car if this had happened to me, what, what's about to happen. I would have never went, through, like, so, like, even though Tony Lawrence, I think out of all four of them, I has the least culpability, I can see why she got what she did. But still, I, I, I understand why they still gave her time. And I do believe she was just a pussy and didn't say anything instead of speaking up and saying, fuck you guys, I'm leaving. But we're, we're, let's get to that. Now, this is what happens. This is what caused this whole event to start. Melinda Loveless began dating a girl named Amanda Heverin. Now, this girl, Amanda, must have been quite the thing because there was girls wanting her left and right. Seriously, in the book, it just seemed like she could have her pick of the litter. So she she told her mom about this. Her mom became, like, enraged. You know, you're not gay. Just, I'm telling you, like, even in the 90s, I just can't see it being all that accepted. Like, hey, mom, I'm gay. Nowadays, it's very accepted, and it's great because it's healthy. It's out in the open. There's no issues with it. My own children have friends that are gay, and they their parents are so cool about it. Like, it's really nice to see that. It really is because it's healthy. It's it's just who gives a shit. So that's why I was just so shaken. It just seems so accepted by the letters that are soon to be written between Heverin and Loveless and Shonda Shearer. Okay, so she came out to her mother who went freaked out, but then she accepted it. But as the year progressed, Loveless's relationship with Heverin started to deteriorate. Heverin, Amanda Heverin, she would meet with Shonda Shearer in the fall semester when Shonda went to Hazelwood Junior High. They got into a fight, but they went to detention and then they started liking each other and they started to exchange romantic letters. Loveless immediately grew jealous of this. She went ballistic. Heverin and Shearer actually attended a school dance and this is where Loveless confronted them. Heaven and Loveless had never formally ended their relationship, and Loveless had started to date another girl, an older girl, so Heaven just thought everything was okay. But after Heaven and Shara attended this, it was in late October, I guess 91, Loveless began to publicly threaten that she was going to kill Shara. This was deeply concerning to Shonda Shearer's parents, who they arranged for her to go to Our Lady of Perpetual Help. It was a Catholic school in New Albany, and she was doing good. I mean, at this age, she was 12. She, you know, she was going back. She was fine. She would have been fine. It would have been a forgotten, done deal, except 
they kept dragging out. Now, some of the letters, this is what I could not get over. These letters are so mature. Okay, this is some of the letters. Uh, Shonda, I had a great time with you last night. I look forward to more. Please don't cry anymore. Love, Amanda. This was after the a homecoming dance where Melinda seemed to have created havoc. At this time, this is when a girl... I don't know. Some of the names have been changed, so I'm not sure if this is a true name or a pseudonym. Carrie East, Melinda said that they were at the park and she was saying she was in love with me. What's Amanda got that I don't? She can give, you know, she was saying I can give you more because I'm older. Now, this girl Carrie wanted to kick Amanda Heverin's ass. Melinda says to Carrie, if you're going to hit anyone, you're going to hit me. So I pushed her and I told her to grow up. It got so involved. Amanda Hevron had skipped school because she was supposed to go to this dance. Now, the father of Amanda found out that she had skipped school, and he was alarmed because Amanda didn't. Amanda was apparently a good girl, despite being, wow, such a catalyst for all this romance. He was snooping around her room. He found a lot of letters from Melinda to Amanda, and he said, I just couldn't believe this, the tone of these letters. They were so sexual. Now, this Carrie East started to go out with Melinda, and she heard that Melinda and Amanda were possibly reuniting. It seemed like Amanda just loved being loved, so she was kind of bouncing back and forth between uh, Shonda and Melinda. Now, they were all young, you know, and now as adults, you know that all the love back then, everything's so serious. But you can see that this was just people going through puberty and finding out who they were. And Shonda was actually the youngest of all of them, even though these girls were all like 15, 16, and 17. Shonda was only 12. So Carrie found out. And she was she was crying and getting on her knees. She just begged, begged, begged Melinda to to be with her. Carrie East was following her one night, and then they get to the park, and she's saying she loves me. What does Amanda have that I don't? I'm older. I'm more experienced. And then she said, Melinda, I saved Amanda's butt because Carrie was had a bat and was going to beat up Amanda. Now, Amanda writes to Shonda, I had a great time with you last night. I look forward to more. This was after the dance. Shonda writes to Amanda, I love last night too. I want more and always. Can I have something to remember you by? I want what we had last night if you want. Will you accept my ring if I give it to you? It didn't take long for the homecoming to get back to Melinda. Her girlfriend was sneaking behind her back and she was furious. She called her friend Christy in a panic. Guess what? Remember the girl at the dance? Yeah, what about her? Amanda's going out with her. Just leave her alone. She's a kid. I think they went to a haunted house together. Do you have her number? Now, she just started going crazy. I just like to beat her up. I just like to kill her. Now, this is from Melinda, the same person that just stopped Carrie from beating up Amanda. I know there's a lot of names, so I'll try to keep them. I'll try to remind who's behind the name as best I can. So Amanda, the one that everyone's in love with, she quizzed her about the homecoming. Amanda denied having gone, claimed she hadn't seen Shonda. And then that drove Melinda crazy that she was lying to her. Now, Shonda was in Our Lady of Perpetual Help by now. 
And she was doing well. I'm just reading some of the letters that were between Shonda and Amanda. Sorry, I didn't call. I forgot. Can you please give me your number again? How do you like the school? I guess it's okay. I'm laying in bed. I have a question to ask you. I know this is going to sound dumb, but do you kind of like girls? This is when they must have first started. Melinda writes to Shonda, warning her to stay away. Don't be mad at me, please. I want to be your friend. I just don't like when you speak to Amanda when I'm not there. I mean, why can't all the three of us be friends? You act as if I got, if you've got something going on with her. Amanda and I are going together and she loves me and I love her and she only wants to be friends with you. You need to accept that. Shonda, Amanda told me that you're going through bad times. Well, if you need someone to talk to, you can always talk to me. I don't want you sneaking behind my back. So that preceded the actual notes from the homecoming. So then after those were written, then she wrote another note to Amanda. Why did you write your her fucking name on your on her, your folder? It hurt me so much. I just didn't think you would put her ugly name on your folder. You must have liked her enough to write her name. Well, well, I'm gone. Just tell me you like her once. I'll know. This was going on back and forth, back and forth. And then Melinda writes to Shonda, Hey girl, what's up? I'm in study hall. Amanda was outside my door, so I played it off and got something to drink. Well, have you decided if you're going to attend the dance? I'm not. I'll probably go to the mall and see a fucking lame movie. Well, I'm bo- I've bored you enough. See y'all later, babe. I guess she was trying to be her friend. Shonda, hey, honey, yes, I do love you, but it just feels like Melinda has got me in some kind of trance. I don't know how to get out of it. Oh, okay, now this is when Amanda starts messing with Shonda. Hey, honey, I do love you, but it just feels like Melinda's got me in some kind of trance. I don't know how to get out of it. I'm scared. If I try to get out of it, something bad will happen. I'm scared to death. Then she writes, thanks for the note. Hey, I don't think I will ever tell Melinda. She will probably kill you. I love you a lot. I don't know. Amanda must have known that Melinda was batshit crazy. And she was seriously about to pop a cork. Now, this homecoming dance is what just really set Melinda into the stratosphere. I mean, so all these letters are being written back and forth. There's a lot of anger. That is when, really, it was that October festival that just set the tone. Now, Heverin said, now, I don't know what a youth prosecutor is, but she said that she gave Lovelace's letter to a youth prosecutor containing the death threats that she got regarding how Melinda was going to kill Shonda Shearer. But she said the youth prosecutor never did anything about it. Now, she claims she gave this to some youth prosecutor. I don't know. On the night of January 10th, 1992, I know of no other way to segue into this because what happens is so horrific. I just cannot imagine doing this to a 12-year-old girl. Tony Lawrence was 15. Hope Rippey was 15. Lori Tackett was 17. Melinda Lovelace was 16. So these are all between the ages of 15 and 17. And... Sean is only 12. They drive Tackett's car from Madison to Lovelace's house in New Albany. Now, what happens when they go up to... Now, they get lost many times. There was no GPS back then. So they went to a McDonald's, asked for directions. Finally, they arrive. They send 
Rippy, Lauren said she would not get out of the car. So Hope Rippy and and Lori Tackett, who have never met Shonda before this night. I don't think even Tony did. The only person that met her before this night was Melinda. They go to her house and they knock on the door. Now, the dad, he was frustrated that night because they had already had a girl over and he just wanted to spend time with her. He, he he didn't get to see her much because she only saw her on the weekends. So they knock on the door and they ask for Shonda. Now Shonda is there. Shonda is the one that answered the door. The dad sees this and he says, why did they just ask for you? You know, he was very confused, very alarmed by this. So she told them to come back later. They come back later and they said, look, Heverin, Amanda Heverin, is waiting for us at the witch's castle. It was this little stone house looking over the Ohio River. Now, I will take a picture again in Pennypack Park. It looks so similar to the witch's house or the witch's castle. It's unbelievable. Every time they mention it, I think in this place in Pennypack Park, right over here. I'll get a picture of it. It's in the middle of the woods, too. And I'm telling you, if somebody asked me to go there in the middle of the night, I don't care who was there. I wouldn't be going there. Shit, you know, so they had to come back. They attended a punk rock show. Lawrence and Rippy, Tony Lawrence and Hope get quickly lose interest in this punk rock show they're watching. They go out in the park. They start making out with two boys. Eventually, all the four girls got back together and they are riding to Shonda's house. During this time, Melinda says she can't wait to kill Sharer. However, she also says that she just intends to frighten her with a knife. When they arrive at Sharer's house at 1230 a.m., Lawrence just out and out refused to get her. So, as I said, Lori Tackett and Hope Rippy go up. Loveless was hiding under the blanket in the back seat with a knife. Hope told Shonda that Amanda Heverin was at the witch's castle, still waiting for her from previously. Shara was reluctant to go with them, Shonda, yet she agreed changing her clothes. As they got into the car, Hope Rippy began questioning Shara about her relationship with Amanda. All of a sudden, Melinda comes out with the knife and puts it to her throat. They drive towards Utica. Shonda just starts crying. She's very scared very quickly. Now, when they get to the witch's castle, I mean, this from this on, this night goes incredibly fast. I mean, it's it goes from zero to 60. They tie her arms and legs together with rope. Melinda is taunting her that she has pretty hair. I, what would you look like if I cut it off? Then she takes off. It's, it's so sad. Every time it breaks my heart. She takes off a Mickey Mouse watch, which is playing a little Mickey Mouse tune, and she starts dancing to it. I mean, a Mickey Mouse watch. The girl is 12. I can't imagine the mother having to listen to this in the court. It it just must have broke her heart. To further threaten her, Lori Tackett takes a shirt out of the trunk and and sets it on fire. During the car ride, Shonda Shearer was begging with them, please just let me go, let me go. Loveless told her, Melinda Loveless said, take off your bra. And then she handed it to Hope Rippy, who slid off her own bra and replaced it with Shonda Shearer's. They became lost, so they had to stop at a gas station. They covered Shonda up with a blanket while Lori Tackett went inside to ask for directions. 
Tony Lawrence called a boy she knew and chatted for several minutes to calm herself down, but she never mentioned what was going on. She never said anything. So she must have used a payphone because I don't think in 92 there was any cell phones. Yes. Okay. It was a payphone. They returned to the car. They got lost again and they pulled up to another gas station. Tony Lawrence and Hope Rippey spotted a couple boys and they talked to them once again, never mentioning Shonda. Close your ears now if this is too heavy because this is where it just gets absolutely freaking terrible. They force Shonda to take off her clothes. And while she's buck naked, Melinda Loveless starts to beat her with her fist. She slams her face into her knee and this cut Shonda's mouth because she had braces on. She tried to cut her throat with that knife, but it was too dull. Hope came out of the car and held Shonda down. And Lori Tackett took turns stabbing Shonda in the chest. They then strangled Shonda with a rope until she was unconscious. They put her in the trunk and they told the one that was sitting in the car was Tony Lawrence. They get back in the car and said Shonda is dead. They go back to Lori's house where they drink sodas and clean themselves because by this point, a lot of blood had been in the trunk. Shonda is screaming in the trunk. Tackett comes out with a paring knife and stabs her a few more times. At this point, the only people that go into the car are Lori Tackett and Melinda Loveless. Hope Rippy and Tony Lawrence stay back behind. Shonda is in the back continuing to make gurgling and crying noises until Tackett, until Lori Tackett stopped the car. When she opens the trunk, Shara stands up covered in blood, unable to speak, and her eyes roll into the back of the head. She beats her in the head with a tire iron, and then when she comes back into the car, she tells Melinda to, to, to smell it. It's absolutely disgusting. And I know, I happen to know during this time, I'm not sure exactly when, but during this time she screams for her mommy, which it's very hard for me to think about. It really is. I, I mean, I don't know how her mother, that poor mother, sitting in the courtroom hearing this, she, I, I just don't understand it. So Loveless and Tackett return to, they return to Lori's house just as daybreak is coming up. And Hope Rippy asked about Cher, Shonda. Lori is laughingly describing the torture. The conversation wakes up Lori Tackett's mother, who yells at them for being out so late. Lori says, we got to take you girls home to Hope and Tony. She drives to the burn pile where they open the trunk to stare at Shonda. Tony Lawrence out and out refuses, but Hope Rippy sprays Shonda with Windex and says, you're not looking so hot now, are you? The girls drive to a gas station, pump some gasoline into a the car and buy a two liter bottle of Pepsi, which Lori pours out and fills with gasoline. They drive north of Madison to a place known to Rippy. Tony Lawrence stayed in the car the whole time. Shonda Shearer was still alive when this happened. She was wrapped in a blanket. They carry her to a field and they set her on fire. Melinda was just not convinced that Shearer was dead. So they poured the rest of the gasoline on her. I mean, they now they would later claim this got out of control. 
how in God's creation did this get out of control? I, I mean, it went from I'm just going to scare her to this. The girls go to McDonald's and they laugh while they're eating a sausage because Lawrence thinks it's absolutely hilarious to wiggle the sausages and say this looks like Shonda Sharer. They drop off Tony Lawrence and Hope Rippy and she goes to tell Amanda Heverin. Amanda just didn't believe the story until Lori shows them all the blood in the in the trunk and she says, I just I just want to go home. So she promises she won't tell anybody. The person that tells people is it was probably the next night they go to a bowling alley. They're talking about they talked about this murder from the time they did it and they just talked and talked and talked. There was two guy two like local guys that heard them talking and God bless them. They went to the police station and said to the police, we heard see, these girls talking about a murder and we think they were serious. We don't think they were kidding. So that was when the police first got word of it, actually. Then ultimately, Tony Lawrence would go and she told her parents and then her parents brought her to the police station. On the morning of January 11th, 1992, two brothers from Cannon were driving to go hunting when they noticed a body on the side of the road. They would call the police and the police came. Now, actually, some guy, David Cam, who was a police officer, he was a responding officer to this. He actually had been charged with the murder of his own family. Now, that story is so complex, I can't even get into it. He was acquitted of it, but he was actually charged with the murder of his family and he was one of the, he was a responding officer to the scene. I just found that a little interesting. They take the forensic evidence. They initially think it's a drug deal going wrong because there's no way that anybody else could have done it. It's got to be some burly men. You know, that's what I would have thought. They do now a hysterical Tony Lawrence and Hope Rippy go to the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office with their parents. They both give these statements. They're hysterical. They're they're babbling. They're talking about Shonda. In fact, the one guy didn't even believe they were talking the truth until somehow they got the, the word got from the guys that came from the bowling alley to what Hope was saying. And then the body came in and it all went together and they figured out it actually was the truth. They would eventually all go to court. Now, they, the mitigating factors in this were that all four girls had troubled backgrounds, all claimed physical or sexual abuse. Melinda was often described as the ringleader, and she did have the most extensive history of sexual abuse. But I, I'm telling you, that Lori Tackett, to me, I'm sorry, I, out of all four of them, to me, reading what I read, she was the most disturbing one of the four, far none. I just, she really had some, but I think they were like innate emotional issues. Uh, you know, like I, she, uh, I do believe she had schizophrenia. Now, the aftermath of this was that Lawrence, Tony Lawrence would accept a plea bargain. Melinda Lovelace and Tackett and Lori Tackett would also accept plea bargains Loveless, Melinda Loveless was sentenced to 60 years. Her family would just go crazy in court when this was announced. 
Tony would get the least of the sentence. During court, I, I know there was one part when Hope Rippy couldn't even look at, at Shonda's body and her mother and Jackie bought uh, Shonda's mother said to the judge, I want her to look right up at Shonda's body. So they forced Hope to look. And Melinda was often absolutely uncontrollably hysterical. I don't know whether this was play acting or if what she really did really hit her. In the pictures of them, they're infamous pictures of them being arrested. Lori Tackett, you can just see the there's something wrong with her. You can see in her eyes. Tony Lawrence is crying, obviously, but Hope Rippy is smiling, genuinely smiling. Now, Melinda Loveless is smiling, but you can see there's her eyes don't match her smile, but they're still smiling. I don't know, even know if any of these girls realize at that point. They, one of the lawyers even says when he's talking about Tony Lawrence that he just, she didn't even know what was really going on. It was like a movie. Night of the Living Dead, she just expected Shonda to wake back up. You know, these were young girls that didn't know what the hell was going on, so to speak. Ultimately, now, Hope, I don't, they don't really go into Hope that much, but she did get, she didn't get as much as, the one that got the least was Tony Lauren. Hope was the one that sprayed, you know, after all was said and done, she did go back and look at her body and she sprayed the Windex in her face. I don't know. She she got more time than Tony Lawrence did. Melinda Loveless being seen as the ringleader and Lori Tackett as the somewhat of the instigator. I know Melinda was sentenced to 60 years. Tony Lawrence would be released on parole after serving nine years on in December 14, 2000. November 3rd, 2004, a judge would reduce Rippy's sentence to 35 years, and then in 2006, she would be released on parole. Just recently, in the last three years, uh, Tackett was released in January 11, 2018, and Melinda was released on September 5th, 2019. They really argue, like the one lawyer argued that Loveless was profoundly retarded by childhood abuse. She had not been present by counsel during her sentencing, which caused her to accept a plea bargain. You know, there was many reasons they fought for her to get out. One of the things I thought was incredibly interesting was that during this time of when Melinda was still in prison, Jackie, Shonda's mother, would get a dog for... There was a program in prison, and... Melinda was training dogs for the disabled to use. Jackie bought a dog named Angel in Shonda's name and gave it to Melinda. Now, some people gave her shit for this. Now, me, I'm all about if that caused you to heal, that's the victim's mother. The victim's mother you know, you let her do what she wants if it makes her heal a little. And she said that she's seen a different side of Melinda because she didn't come face to face with her directly, but she, you know, saw the love and, uh, you know, the true growth she felt in Melinda's attitude towards these dogs. So that's why she had purchased one for her in Shonda's name. I am all for it. I think that was fantastic of her to do. I 
I think that, you know, if that's what helped her. I mean, she still hasn't. She said, I'll never be able to be in the same room with them. And they're all out of jail. I, I remember when Melinda was released and I looked at pictures. You know, her face gone is the, you know, little snot-nosed kid that laughed at this. The, the pictures are truly horrific. I mean, this girl had smoke in her lungs. I mean, she was alive when she was being burned. Uh, the pictures are, are brutal to look at. I truly think this was a tragedy. Larry Loveless, he would be arrested in February 1993 on charges of rape, sodomy, and sexual battery. Now, he was in jail for two years awaiting trial. The judge said the statute of limitation had run out, so they really couldn't do much. There was he pleaded guilty to one count of sexually sexual battery and he was released time served in June nineteen ninety five. He would sue the court for thirty nine million dollars, saying he had suffered unusual cruel punishment in his two year incarceration because among his complaints, he was not allowed to sleep in bed during the day or to read the newspaper. That poor guy. After all that. Ultimately, Larry Loveless committed suicide in 1998. Uh, There's like an overpass and he jumped in front of a school bus and he would die in the hospital at the age of 52, which I guess is sad. But the guy, I don't know. I I don't want to say much about that because I don't want to speak ill of the dead. But Steve, Stephen Scherer, Shonda's father. The saddest of all died of alcoholism at the age of 53 in 2005. And when they interviewed Jackie Vaught, she said he did everything but kill himself by putting, you know, it was like he put a gun to his head, but it was with the alcohol. He just literally drank and drank and drank until he died. He, he just couldn't take it. And I don't blame him. I don't know how you can even hear. Okay, on TikTok, I have a few things up. And a murder victim's mother reached out and said that her child was murdered. I read about it. It was absolutely horrific. He was put in, I won't mention any names. He was put in jail with somebody who was a violent criminal. And he he wasn't a violent criminal. And there happened to be not enough guards that night. And he was killed. So she just said, you know, nothing hurts worse than when you hear all of this as a parent, you know, the testimonies in court and to which I thought, you know, and believe me, I often think like I never want to be exploitive in my podcast or in anything I do. I do this for the victim to get their names out there. And because we're all interested in these stories, it has little to do with I want to hear that for the sake of entertainment sake it's because it, it I I believe that especially in the true crime community when we're all listening to it it's like we all come together for the victim's family or those that are hurting and we're there for them and I, I truly believe that and I truly mean that and for anybody who's lost a child to murder or in a violent manner I cannot imagine what you go through and it makes me it makes me crazy I, I mean it does it makes me fucking crazy I just want to kill anybody who hurts a child it's not fair it isn't it's not fair it's not fair and it shouldn't happen 
in art and in popular culture, there's one thing that I, I know. I know the book's Little Lost Angel by Michael Quinlan, which is more on the Shonda side. And then there's Cool Sacrifice by Aphrodite Jones, which is more on the Melinda side. Not on Melinda's side, but I think trying to get across the abuse that she suffered uh, as a child. And I strongly urge you to read both books. They are, are just go over as much as you can because they are utterly fascinating, both of them. There was also a play by Rob Urbanati called Hazelwood Junior High, which started Chloe Savigny. She was in that Boys Don't Cry. I absolutely love her. I think she was in Kids, too. She plays Lori Tackett. I would actually love to see what they had done with that. Television, there was an episode of Law and Order. There was a cold case episode, loosely based on the crime. And Dr. Phil aired a two-part series, which features Shonda Sherr's mother and sister, Paige, who both harshly confronted Hope Rippey. And then they interview uh, Amanda Heverin. I would love to see that Dr. Phil interview. I really would. Oh, the 90s de- Deadliest Decade and the new girl, I, I would like to see that. I didn't realize that the 90s deadliest decade had that. So that was the case of Shonda Sherr. May Shonda rest in peace to be a young girl and to have four girls brutally murder you in that way because you like to call Amanda. Now, I know Amanda, she did antagonize, but I don't think she realized that it would result in murder. I mean... Don't we all play a little bit of games when we're young or in love? The murder thing is truly horrific. I mean, and then the mommy part. Oh, my gosh. I'm telling you, I I would just rip somebody with my bare hands. I could not. I just can't even let my mind go there. It's truly upsetting. That was the case of Shonda Sherr. Next, I'm going to be doing the Ricky Casso case, uh, otherwise known as the Acid King. And I, I've had a lot of listener suggestions that I, I have all written down, and I'm going to I'm going to go through one by one. I hope I did it justice because I taped a whole beginning, and then I did it again. So I, I'm going to have to see if this has to be done again. This is Debbie Q, and you're listening to The Right Shoe.